0: Hidden among the tragic news stories of 2020 was this story of a different sort of tragedy in the art world. A private art collector in Valencia was reportedly charged 1200 euro by a furniture restorer to have a picture of the immaculate conception by Murillo cleaned. However, the job did not go as planned and the face of the Virgin Mary was left unrecognizable despite two attempts to restore it to its original state. The case has inevitably resulted in comparisons with the infamous monkey Christ incident eight years ago, when a devout parishioners attempt to restore a painting of the scourged Christ on the wall of a church near the Spanish town of Borja made headlines around the world. Of course, reading that article sent me down an internet rabbit trail that led to some pretty amazing places like this statue, also in Spain, and this one, One more from Spain and my favorite, the Lamb of God from the Ghent altarpiece in a Belgium cathedral. Actually, this most recent Lamb of God restoration was intended to undo the damage of an earlier restoration. And this latest version is apparently quite faithful with the original. So I am clearly not qualified to judge and I probably shouldn't laugh at the destruction of these sacred works of art. But the moral of the story is that art is hard, and restoration is dangerous work. That's the theme for this third week of Advent, on the road to restoration. And apparently this stretch of road should have a warning sign, proceed with caution. So far in Advent, the journey has included signposts marked readiness and repentance. In week one, I wondered what it means to be ready when we can't see the road ahead. And last week on the road to repentance, I pointed out that while our past does not define us, while we can't truly turn away from the mistakes that we've made, the past ain't through with us. I hope that the the lessons of amateur art restoration can teach us that there really is no going back to the way things were. Even the professional restorers at their best can't take an aging piece of art all the way back to the moment of its creation. Time has taken a toll on the piece in ways that cannot be undone. And likewise, the times have changed around the art as well, so that the meaning and wonder of the piece in relationship to its audience has changed. Repentance or no, we cannot go back and start over. We cannot go back to the way things were. The ancient prophets recognized that as well in their call for restoration They knew that returning from exile, going back to their homeland, that wouldn't be a fresh start on pristine lands. They would be returning after 70 years to collapsed walls and cities filled with rubble, to a generation of strangers occupying what they also thought of now as their land. The homeland was forever changed. Whatever the prophets and their people would rebuild, It would be built on top of and out of the ruins of the past. Given that, given that things will never be quite what they used to be, what does it mean to be restored? If we can't get back whatever has been lost, can things really be as good as new? Good as new, that's a curious phrase. For one, not all things are at their best when they are new. Stiff shoes, first dates, fine wine. Many things get better with age and experience. And even that phrase, good is new, makes you wonder why something needs that disclaimer. My family needs a new laptop, and so this holiday season I've been keeping an eye on the sales online. And whenever I browse the selection at the technology superstores, I often find exactly what I'm looking for. The right size screen, the right numbers of RAM and gigahertz, and an SSD USB Type-C Gen 1 Bluetooth 4.2. I don't know what any of that means, but it all sounds like what I'm looking for. And the price is amazing. It's about $300 less than I've seen anywhere else for those specs. And then at the very end of the description, I see it. This is a refurbished laptop. Oh, That explains the price difference. This one's broken. I know, it says it's certified and manufacturer refurbished with a one-year warranty. And I've heard that most refurbished items have absolutely nothing wrong with them, that they've just been returned for benign issues like shipping errors or cosmetic flaws or whatever. This one has been checked out and put back together by the very people that made the originals. It's possible that this is even a safer bet because of all the extra attention that it's received. By all objective standards, it is as good as new. But still, it's refurbished. There's something wrong with it, or at least there was at one point. And if I buy this one, I'll always have that knowledge in the back of my head. That's a pretty powerful feeling that something's wrong. It's tough to shake. Something is broken. This is not the way things are meant to be. We feel that feeling about technology. Well, this phone that I have had, it doesn't work nearly as well as it used to. We feel it about relationships. Well, they didn't say anything, but there was something going on underneath that conversation. Something must be up. We feel that about systems. The waiting list for the surgery is how long? That's not right there's got to be a better way to organize our health care. That feeling drives career changes, breakups, inventions, elections, and revolutions. I'd say that feeling is a spiritual reality as well. That's been one of my go-to phrases in my preaching career. This is not the way things are meant to be. At the core of my faith is this hope that God has something better in store for us, that the reign of God, the way of Jesus, offers a better way, more just, more fair, more fruitful, whatever, just better than whatever we're currently doing. That's the energy running through our text from Isaiah 61. Broken hearts being healed, liberation for captives, comfort for those who mourn, rebuilding, repair healing. There is something wrong with the way things are and God has come. God is coming to do something about it. That's the first truth of restoration. When we feel that longing to go back, we, we feel that because we feel that something is broken. We recognize it. We want to be made new because what is now is not all good. That's what those feelings of discontent and frustration are for. Our distress, whether that's physical, emotional, social, societal, our stress calls us to pay attention, to find the source of the problem, and to do something about it. Advent invites us to pay attention to that feeling of longing for something better, to acknowledge the brokenness, to feel the power of righteous indignation, the strength of resolve that comes with knowing that something better is possible. We have to do something. That sense is driving so much in 2020, from courageous essential workers to vaccine research, to reckoning with racism and economic injustice, to things as minor and yet as meaningful as Zoom church. The alternative is gone or just simply not working, and we have to do something. There is incredible power in attending to those feelings of brokenness, power for healing, for creating, for empathizing. That goes for the personal as well. There are many moments, days, and seasons when I feel broken. Bad decisions I've made, lies that I've told, patterns I repeat, habits I can't break. Call it selfishness, call it sin, call it the limitation of human nature. I feel guilt and shame, and brokenness in me. Pain comes from that. Some of that stuff seems to come from within me and some of it is imposed on me from the outside. Many of you have been through trauma, sexual violence, gender-based violence, abuse, manipulation, tragedy, loss, grief. Some of you are in the middle of those right now, known and unknown. Those are open wounds, they're painful, and they remain that way if unattended. Those experiences bring lasting damage and leave us feeling wounded. Here again, we feel pain and that pain comes with a purpose. That feeling of pain is a call to action. Our distress activates our systems of defense. It moves us to hide, to seek help, to fight, to curl up and protect ourselves. Sometimes those responses to pain are helpful, and sometimes not. Sometimes we miss the source of the problem and we lash out in the wrong directions. Sometimes we hide when we should fight, or we fight when we should run away or try to fix things. Sometimes we sit on the couch when it would be more helpful to move. But whatever our response, there is a response, there is power there because of that pain, There is purpose in the feeling of brokenness. Attending to that feeling invites me to seek a better way. That's the invitation of restoration, to acknowledge the parts in me and in our world that are out of sync, to move from that out of syncness in the direction of Shalom. That is the journey of Advent, of the prophet Isaiah, to move in the direction of freedom, of fairness, of humility, of mercy, of nourishment, of healing. But then also there's this. Some of you will remember the scene from Toy Story 2, where Andy rushes home from cowboy camp, all excited to play with his cowboy toy, Woody. But when he grabs Woody off the shelf, he sees Woody's arm is torn. Oh, I forgot. You're broken. I don't want to play with you anymore. And Andy drops Woody to the floor, and Woody just sinks right through the floor to land in the trash can, overwhelmed as the garbage pulls him under forever. There's danger in acknowledging the brokenness within us and around us. When something feels broken, we assume that lowers its value, like me with those refurbished laptops. When the world feels broken, we're tempted to devalue it, treat as it as though it's disposable. We wonder if it's worth the effort to fix. We're tempted to ditch the whole thing and start over. There's nothing we can do about the virus. It's too powerful. Might as well let it wash over us and hope for herd immunity. We've all heard that one this year. Inequality, well, that's just the way the world works. Greed is good. There's a meritocracy, survival of the fittest. It's sad, but True heard those as well. Of course, there's a pandemic and climate change and all other manners of natural and human-driven destruction. This world is dirty, fallen, depraved. God's going to wash it all away and start over and give us a new heavenly home. That one's been shouted from pulpits in Christian churches around the globe this year. It's broken, so what are you going to do? Might as well face reality. Broken beyond repair. Is that really how God sees God's creation? To be clear, no. That is bad theology. It's a crude, if not intentional, misreading of the Bible. More on that in a minute. But we all do that ourselves as well, with ourselves. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. So I'll come up with a hundred reasons not to try it. I'm ashamed of my compulsive behavior, so I will hide that away and hope no one else sees. I'm convinced that others won't like me if they ever find out where I've been, what I've done, so I'm not going to take the chance and let anyone close enough to find out. I'm broken, and that means I'm worthless. I'm garbage. There are many ways of thinking and expressing that, But I'm pretty sure that many of us, most of us, feel that from time to time. Some of us just can't seem to stop feeling that, that shame spiral. Our shadows define us. Our shame drags us down and holds us there in the garbage. Here again, some Christian theology contributes to that or even demands it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Good song, but some of us get stuck there in the wretchedness, unclean sinners groveling before the holy God, a standard that we can never live up to, a line we can never be on the right side of. Others externalize that feeling, trying to convince others of their wretchedness as though despair is an essential step on the journey of faith. The Christmas story is a clear and final rejection of that theology of brokenness. The Incarnation, the Emmanuel, begs the question, if I'm worthless, if all of this is garbage, then what is God doing here? Christmas is God come to us, God one of us, God and humanity bound together inextricably, eternally, essentially. Christmas is God literally embodied in human weakness and dependence Christmas is God showing up in a woman, unclean, condemned by her community, an embarrassment to her family, her husband. It's God showing up under the care of a man ashamed of his marriage, so incompetent that he failed to secure a decent place for his partner to give birth. Christmas is God inviting to the party a bunch of idiot shepherds, a group of pagan astrologers, bunch of random farm animals, allegedly. Our imaginings of the Christmas story aren't all that factual. But still, God shows up among us as one of us, not at our best, not at the innocence of the beginning, but right smack in the middle of the damning mess. This world is not broken. This world is sacred, holy, it's good, This is the very house of God. This is the restoration of Advent. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, look, behold, everything has become new. The second half of that is more well-known, and that's definitely restoration, all things new. But don't miss how that happens. We regard no one from a human point of view. From a human point of view, Mary is just a promiscuous teenager. Joseph is just another guy who can't get his act together. The shepherds are basic and boring. The wise men are heretics, foreigners. But from God's view, this is home. This is family. This is the birthplace of heaven. When I see the world, all of you, myself, through those eyes, everything changes. It's all good as new because it's never stopped being good. That adventure of Toy Story 2 that begins with Cowboy Woody seeing his brokenness and believing that makes him worthless. Then he goes on in this quest for self-preservation, believing that if he can find a way to be fixed and then to stay pure, he'll finally be worth something. But in the end, his friends come and find him and they remind Woody of who he is. He's got Andy's name on his shoe. His purpose is not perfection, but love. That's what matters, that he remembers that he is not broken, but loved. That's what it is to be in Christ, to remember that you are loved, that you are God's. So if you're feeling like Woody in the garbage, this is the moment that your friends have found you here in Zoom Church of all places, and we're talking to you, so listen up. You may feel broken, but you are not broken. You're not innocent, but neither are you condemned. You are not perfect, but you are not bad, not bad at all. And so it is with me, and so it is with the world around us. This place is flawed. We are in need of some serious work, and yet it is good. We are good, as it was in the beginning, and now, and ever shall be, world without end. So, this is us, broken, not broken people, living in a broken, not broken world. As she often does, the poet Jan Richardson has words that ring true a blessing for a broken vessel. Do not despair. You hold the memory of what it was to be whole. It lives deep in your bones. It abides in your heart that has been torn and mended a hundred times. It persists in your lungs that know the mystery of what it means to be full, to be empty, to be full again. I'm not asking you to give up your grip on the shards you clasp so close to you, but to wonder what it would be like for those jagged edges to meet each other in some new pattern that you never have imagined, that you have never dared to dream. Amen.